Kwaba. Welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast, by size where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be as involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. Hello and welcome back to my fellow Ghanaians and my adopted Ghanaians for the Team Ghana U podcast, by size podcast where you receive news, updates, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As I said in the intro. Today, I was supposed to actually run through the, sorry, I completely forgot. I said I was going to do an article, sorry, which I'm going to do at some point this evening in regards to, that is it, superb. Who is the who is more important, sorry, the manager or the sporting director? I've made a few notes to which I'm going to touch upon later on, not necessarily in the podcast, but later on this evening myself, before I actually put out the podcast, sorry, before I actually put out the article, sorry. So ignore all of that. There are a number of things that I actually wanted to run through today, um, which I think have been really interesting over the past couple of weeks. Some of them have been just conversations with people and who I've met in passing, which I think has been really, really interesting. And some of them, well, just updates as I'm supposed to also provide you um, every fortnight. So the first thing I want to actually provide update on and talk about is the interest or discussion in regards to a Saudi investment in the CAF Champions League. I was going to say the UEFA Champions League, which is what we... And I guess myself I was sorry, and I guess myself are more familiar with, with the UEFA Champions League. So I'm gonna run through some information to which I have found, which I think is really, really interesting, and then I wanna piggy tail off the back of that to discuss the under seventeens AFCON, sorry, and then the under twenties World Cup in I think it was I think it's in Argentina, but I think it was due to take place in Indonesia. But that's another discussion in itself. Not one that I wanna have here. Anyway, there's another proposed Super League. In soccer, poised to make a net sizable. Right, let me let me start that again. There's another proposed Super League in soccer, poised to net a sizable financial boost. This time in Africa, congratulations, courtesy of Saudi Arabia. The Guardian reports the Confederation of African Football is in talks with Saudi Arabia on a 200 million pound deal, sorry dollar deal, sorry, to support the new African Super League. A move, sorry that would theoretically aid the country in winning host rights for a future World Cup. I don't know how much interest I have in them actually hosting a World Cup. I'm probably more interested, in fact, so now I am more interested in how they're going to aid the continent of Africa, but at what cost does that come with, if I'm true, if I'm being very, very honest? You know, yeah, what cost does that come with? But I guess we kind of kind of look at what's taking place in UK, truth be told, actually, because I think there's been a number of sizable investments um, with Newcastle United um, and not necessarily with Man City, but I guess they're from the same sort of region. Or forget even the fact that they're from the same sort of region. I don't want to say or put out that some information. I guess the investment has come from the same sort of place. And truth be told, the Mansour group have done fantastic work with Manchester City and other clubs around the world. From what I understand, actually, I think they own up to about 13 different clubs around the world. And actually, I was going to touch upon this at the very, very end, but as a part of me thinking, I'm going to touch upon this right now, actually. No, 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 no. I'll touch upon it at the very end, actually, because what I don't want to do, I don't want to hop, skip, and jump in between different different topics. What I wanted to talk about was the Right to Dream Academy um, now being involved in the MLS with San Diego. But I'll get to that at the very, very end, because I think I wanted to use that as a dovetail for something else. But anyway, let me just continue reading what I was talking about. Um, somewhat mirroring the themes of the prior and ill-fated Super League proposal in Europe, the African tournament plans to offer a $100 million 
sorry, $100 million in prizes, including $11.6 million for the winner, one of five times the top prize for the current CAF Champions League. So this will replace or maybe work alongside the CAF Champions League. Let me continue and hopefully I'll finish very shortly. CAF and FIFA announced plans for an African Super League last year. That effort, however, is now targeted to begin with the 24-25 season, to coincide with the start of the Saudi sponsorship in a reduced eight-team format. Do you know what? I like that. I like that. Start small and build from that. I like that. Let me continue reading this, actually. The Saudi involvement also builds on the recent five-year cooperation and development agreement between CAF and the Saudi Arabian Football Foundation. CAF has been seeking firmer financial footing since the 2019 termination of a billion dollar, sorry, of a one billion, well, of a one billion dollars rights agreement with, I can't pronounce it, so I will pronounce it and then I'll spell it, Langardier, or Langardier, so that's L-A-G-A-R-D-E-R-E. Let me continue reading this. The initiative also represents the latest attempt by Saudi Arabia, a country widely rebuked in global circles for its poor record on human rights. We know this to use sports as a means to help booster or boost, sorry, its international standing. We also know that too. It's doing the same thing with boxing. Saudi Arabia or Saudi Arabia's sovereign fund, wealth fund, sorry, is the lead backer of Live Golf, another high-profile investment that has attracted controversy and debate. That is also very true as well. Do you know what? I have not done enough research in regards to Saudi Arabia and their and their involvement in in other sports. Sounds a bit silly, really. Yes, no, in fact, no, it's true. Whereas in regards to Newcastle United and Newcastle United, sorry, and football in the UK where I'm based, or the Live Golf, which is actually something, as I said here, which is quite it's a high profile tournament and has attracted a lot of controversy. Um, and now I'll see the AFCAF now oh, blah, 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 blah. Now, the CAF Champions League as well. That is something I'm definitely going to do a bit of research in on, sorry. But I think that's really, really interesting. And I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up is obviously, one, it's a, it's a big tournament where it's going to impact the um, the future of African football. But I found it really, really interesting off the back of the recent under-17s CAF tournament um, in Algeria. And I guess they're related in some way, shape or form. Because for me, for as long as it is for the betterment of African football, I can, um, not that I can put my name to it, but I can support it in some way, shape or form. For as long as the ownership right, of African football is not in the hands of another group or another country, I guess I can go, you know what? I like that. For me, I'm about partnerships and things of that nature. So I'm definitely in the camp of this tournament taking place. And I think Africa needs some form of cash injection in order for it to be brought to life. And I guess the, the fruits of that labor are things such as the, um, um, what was the talent really, you know? And I think there's a lot of phenomenal talent in world football, um, in general, to be fair, but coming out of the, coming out of Africa, whether it's the diaspora, in fact, this is not about it. Well, this, what I'm saying is not about the diaspora, but Africa in general. Yeah. So I don't want to do no separation. So it's not about the diaspora. It's about Africa in general. And again, that leads me on to Senegal winning, winning, sorry, the African, sorry, the AFCONs in Algeria. And while I haven't watched the whole tournament, I've watched bits and pieces. I think the football has been really, really good from Senegal. So I'm very proud from that, from, from that point of view. But something that I read, I think it was a couple of hours ago was in regards to Senegal. I think I've made a clean sweep. In fact, that is not quite true, actually. But the note was, can Senegal have made a clean sweep 
um, of tournaments over the past couple of years by way of the tournaments CAF have put on. I say that's not true because I know Ghana won a tournament very recently. Um, I want to say about maybe 12 months ago. I forget which tournament it was. Um, but Senegal are definitely on the up, and I think Senegal have been playing good football coming out of Africa for a very, very long time, whether it's the exports or or the national team. So I think that's something to be to be proud of on the African continent that I guess our fellow a fellow they're not our fellow countrymen, but our fellow Africans are doing very well. Um and something I also I did a, a bit of research into and I didn't think it would be the case. None of those players coming out of Senegal are playing in other countries across Europe, which more often than not no, it wouldn't be the case, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they were. But why it didn't surprise me is because what you don't find is... This is not right, actually, by the way. You don't find... I, I Sorry. Not even that you don't find... No, you don't find it, but I don't think a European club would let an African player go to play in an under-17 AFCONs, whether it's due to the the level of the tournament whether it's due to the location of the tournament, I think it's something that we just don't we don't we, sorry we just don't see it. Um, so it would have surprised me. But the talent is what actually it didn't surprise me. Actually, it made me quite happy that um, we're producing talent of that nature in, in in the continent, and it's something that I'd like to see Ghana do as well. Which is another point to be fair. Didn't see Ghana in a tournament, um, so that it surprised me, and it didn't surprise me. Um, why didn't it surprise me? I guess obviously in recent years we haven't been we haven't been great at that level. Um I think we've just come up a slump, to be fair. We've been very, very honest with us say past five, ten years, so you can't have everything you're going your own way. Um and it surprised me, I guess, from the point of we're one of the big nations in the continent. So I guess that's why I was disappointed. Um but I was very happy for Senegal. I'm very happy for Algeria and a lot of the countries who produce good football in the tournament. I would advise people to go and actually find highlights of that tournament on YouTube, because you'll definitely be able to find it. Good 5-10 to ten minute highlights of the football being played. And when it surprised me, actually, you can find the whole game as well. So that's the under-17 AFCONs. Also, which I touched upon very, very quickly, was the under-20s World Cup taking place in Argentina, from what I understand. But to, be- to begin with, I understand the tournament was supposed to be hosted by Indonesia. Um, again, there's no... There's no, sorry, there's no, there's no, there's no Ghana side in the tournament, to which was a bit of a disappointment. Um, for some of the reasons which I mentioned previously, I'm going to look up some of the qualification details. And I know sometimes, or more often than not, this is out of... Um, so this is a consequence of how you've done in tournaments, such as the the AFCONs previously. Um, so that'd be interesting to do some research in regards to how Ghana did in those tournaments. But again, obviously a little bit disappointed, but it is what it is. Um, I wanted to move on. Uh, move on, move on, move on. I wanted to move on to... Uh, um, very recently, I had a, a rider actually come in my car, and we had a very interesting conversation based on footballers and after their career finishes, why they end up needing to go back into work. And not to say necessarily that those who go back to work need to go back into work from a financial standpoint or point of view, um, but in some cases, I think some of them do need to go back into work because they actually need the money to maintain their... Well, they need the money or need to maintain their... They're living standing in some way, shape or form. Um, and I think I'm pointing to the example of like Craig Bellamy recently obviously filing for bankruptcy or I'm sure there are other examples of footballers in the past who have done very similar things. And I guess in my conversation, I was saying that I'm a massive fan of Craig Bellamy um, as a personality. And funny enough, actually, he's invested 
some money or his time certainly back into African football. I forget the country where he's actually invested his time and his money, but um, Craig Bellamy is a person who I admire for some of the things that he's done in football. Played at a very high level, a very decent level. So I think it's admirable that um, I guess we respect him. Um, but I think the conversation that we're having was based on some of the financial financial literacy. Sorry, sorry, of some of the footballers who are involved in industry. So we're talking about the fact that some of them, um, as an example, I think this is a number that we were throwing around eighty k per per week, for example, and then coming out needing to be in work. But I think the conversation centered around some of the advice that some of the footballers actually receive. Yeah, some of the advice that some of the footballers receive, you know, as to um. I don't know where they place their money. And and I've said this a few times on the podcast as to not pocket watching, but I just felt it was a really interesting subject because I think what he was telling me he was doing, he was going through a round of, um, oh no, um, um, I forget the word. I think it's, basically he was getting loads of different investment for, for a product or something that he was launching. And he was telling me of a player that he knows very, very well. And he sat down with their advisors and he asked them, what is your plan for so-and-so? And they said they didn't have a plan, you know, and he said he thought that was mad that they didn't have a plan. And the reason being is that they're looking after this person's, this person's career in some respect, but not only their career, like, not only their career as in, in their own footballing career, but going forward as well. And if you don't have a me- short, medium and long-term plan, ultimately you'd kind of like wander a bit aimlessly. And it probably speaks to the, the problem within football where players come out and, you know, they, they're unsure what they want to do or sometimes they fall on financial hard times and things of that nature. And, you know, it's not even, it's not even there as an end, actually. I just wanted to, I wanted to highlight this, but actually, actually just point to one or two things and articles that I found. Um, so no, there is an end, sorry. It points to, sorry, no, I'll, I'll, I'll read these one or two things and I'll point, I'll go back to it because I said I was going to, I was going to go back to the Saudi um, investment. And I guess like the reason why I want to go back to the Saudi investment is because like a couple of episodes ago, I touched on. So this was episode ninety-one, where the title of the podcast was was sorry, would X players improve the sustainability model of ownership in Ghana? And my personal opinion in relation to Ghanaian football, I'm unsure the investment needed in regards to actually running a football club would be huge in comparison to, for example, I don't know the Premier League. But I guess that's that's an obvious, you know. And I guess I think the point I'm making in some respect, in regards to Saudi and certainly the Ghanaian Premier League, is that you wouldn't need to go too far afield to find investment if, you know, you had good advice from your from your representatives. But again, that might even point to where your representatives are from, in some respect. You know, I guess I'm just opening the, land, the, the landscape in regards to um, what players should or shouldn't be doing. But at the same time, I shouldn't really be advising them. But I think what I wanted to point out was you know, why the model is broken in some respect and why footballers come out with come out of the game, sorry, with such difficulties, such as Craig Bellamy. But I wanted to do very quickly was just go through Martin Braithwaite, as some of you may know, um, has made a lot of his money outside of football. And I'll read the title of this article from Marca in Spain. Um, how did Braithwaite become the richest player at Barcelona? Um, it says Martin Braithwaite has become the richest player at Barcelona thanks to his smart business decision off the pitch. He reportedly earns 4 million euros per season at the camp now. His work off the pitch has led to his massive wealth. Must be said, this article was written whilst he's, he was at Barcelona. So this article was written in um, July of 2022. 
It was, re- was revealed by Forbes in 2020 that Braithwaite had made a huge amount of money from other investments and, at the time, was only behind Lionel Messi in the Barcelona squad for overall wealth. He invested in real estate business with his uncle back in 2017, and it was certainly the right call. They now have real estate over the world, sorry, they now have real estate worth over 250 million euros in areas such as New York, Philadelphia, Jersey State, and San Antonio. This finishes very shortly, but I want to make sure I get through it. As well as the money from football and real estate, the Dane has a highly successful clothing business, which is run with his partner Anne, Anne, Anne Laurel Louise. I may have got it wrong, I'm not too sure. Just to add a little, sorry, just to add a little bit of extra cash, he also owns a restaurant in Barcelona called Gave. That's G-A-V-E. <clears throat> Braithway adds, I always had this American side, and I think maybe that's why my mindset may be more American, of dreaming big, doing amazing things, writing goals down. He said in an interview with a Philadelphia Inquirer, sorry, with the Philadelphia Inquirer. In Denmark, we have an amazing system protecting people. Everyone is good. No one needs anything. In America, it's not really the same thing. Um, does it go down to that? No, it finishes. It finishes there. The article finishes there. Um, and I'm going to just touch on very quickly, um, the other football, I think, which might be well known as to his, his wealth, which is Matthew Flamini. Okay. So the title of this article is called Arsenal Cult Hero and Billionaire Matthew Flamini suggests he could buy a club one day. Well, one day. Yeah, so this was published in 2023. Also, this was published only about a month ago. Arsenal oil boy Matthew Flamini has made billions from biochemicals and could return as the Gunners owner one day. Arsenal could be bought out by Matthew Flamini. The French midfielder, co-founder of GF Biochemicals in 2008, alongside business partner Pascal Granata. Oh, anyway. Flamini has made far more money from the firm than he ever did in football. However, with GF Biochemicals becoming the first company in the world to mass-produce a chemical, which I can't pronounce, um, I'll spell it, L-E-V-U-L-I-N-I-C, acid, a sustainable alternative to oil-based products. I'll read this last, last paragraph. In 2020, Forbes estimated the ex-gunner who played for Marseille, AC Milan, Crystal Palace and Hatafe to be worth $10 billion. Wow. This is roughly the same amount as current Arsenal owner Stan Kroenke. And now Flamini has refused to rule out buying his former side from the US businessman. Now, I used those two as an example when I read those articles out. So that's by 442. I read those two articles out because I felt it was interesting because, well, just on a subject that players at this moment in time, or some players, and no, no, it has to be said, it's highlighted that some players come out of the game and um, they come out bankrupt or... You know, they, they need to find work, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously if the sub and off the back of obviously our recent article as to would sustainability would X players improve the sustainability sustainability model of ownership in Ghana. But I'm going to add to that, and I think it's my last point of the podcast this week. It is uh, back to the right to dream model. Um and it's funny because I always say to myself quietly, do I have an obsession with the right to dream no i don't have an obsession with the right to dream um brand to be fair i just admire them so much for what they do <clears throat> but very recently i think over the past couple of weeks and let me find this article it is found that they not found sorry they um they bought a club in the mls so let me, again let me just read an article um from the mls and i'll kind of backtrack in some respect 
Rights of Dream finds a natural spot with MLS expansion to San Diego. Um, so I'm not going to read this whole article because I think it talks about um, Tom Vernon's journey um, as such. But obviously they bought a club in MLS and that I think is now their second or third club they have bought, you know, and back to sustainability and back to players and investing their money. The Right to Dream model, I think, is a model that's been fantastically um, um, put together, but that's not even the word I was looking for. I guess it's just a fun, it's just a great model. It's a great model. And I don't think, yeah, it's just a great model. I'm just such a fan of the model. And again, talking about players and investing their money and we're talking about the Saudis and them investing their money and talking about players and obviously needing advice and things of that nature and where they should place their money, short, medium and long-term futures. I just think there's so much that can be done in the game by way of sustainability and when I mean sustainability, I'm talking about ethically, but at the same time ensuring those who are in the game actually have a route out of the game or after the game or after they finish playing. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to finish the article, so finish the, pod- part, finish the podcast by reading this article very briefly. Um, yeah, yeah finish, the article by re- yeah, finish the podcast by reading this article. Back in 1999, when Tom Vernon founded the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana, it was a modest operation trying to impact a small corner of the soccer playing world. Fast forward nearly two and a half decades and Right to Dream is coming to San Diego, providing the academy framework for Major League Soccer's newest club that will begin playing in 2025. Okay, so this is not for another two years. Fantastic all that nonetheless. As MLS team number 30 debuts in Snapdragon Stadium, their unique approach to youth development isn't just an add-on. What we found is the essence and the right idea of Right to Dream's appeal globally. The former Manchester United scout told MLS.com before Thursday's formal announcement. So I think in a sport that's getting pulled in many directions, we reflect a lot of the original, pure values of what the game is about. I've been to many places in the world where people would like Right to Dream to be there, but the combination of MLS and the combination of the potential and the youth in this city made it a natural spot for us. A new beginning. This is the last paragraph I read. Those values about providing promising players, regardless of socioeconomic background, the chance to better their lives through soccer, with sport as the conduit, the hone areas like character, work ethic, and academic pursuits. Above all, Vernon said it's about doing the right thing by every kid to build the community and setting them up for success beyond soccer. Exactly what I was saying. I think we rounded the podcast very well, talking about Saudi investment, talking about players and what they should do with their money after football. Not that we're pocket watching, we'll be talking about the right to dream model yet again and my obsession and we're talking about the under 20 and under 17 world cup and afcons respectively good podcast wouldn't you agree see you in a couple of weeks that's it for this week's episode we'll be posting as usual via social media keeping up with the stories unfold in the coming weeks as always you've got any questions or queries email us at teamgarnieu at gmail.com or tweet or dm us at teamgarnieu on ig or twitter thank you take care we'll see you in a couple of weeks